welcome to the Speechly podcast, where you can expect conversations exploring the best opportunities in the world of voice user interfaces. Today's discussion is from an interview that I did in the Voice Interface Club on Clubhouse. And in the discussion, I am joined by Kim Conti, who is the head of product at Rain Agency, and Will Hall, who is the chief creative officer, also at Rain Agency. And we use the Sephora mobile app and the voice search feature specifically as a springboard to further explore what voice interfaces can unlock in both mobile and web e-commerce experiences. We cover topics such as new types of data, such as natural language data that can come with voice user interfaces, the importance of multimodality for voice commerce, categories that are best positioned to take advantage of voice commerce, and much more on why brands should be starting to explore voice commerce today. I hope you enjoy this interview with Kim Conti and Will Hall of Rain Agency on the Speechly Podcast. Thank you, everybody, for joining this conversation in the Voice Interface Club. As usual, we plan to go for an hour, but before getting into our actual discussion today, just want to give a brief intro to the club, our general theme, and our, our guests for today. So really the the main focus of the Voice Interface Club is to explore other approaches for integrating voice interfaces into our technology, but looking outside of the conversational or voice assistant model that a lot of us are familiar with. Uh, And today specifically, we're going to be looking at at e-commerce and we're using the Sephora mobile app uh, and the voice search feature more specifically really as a springboard uh, for a more general discussion and exploration, if you will, uh, into what voice interfaces can really unlock in both mobile and web e-commerce experiences and, and really why brands should be paying attention to it now. Uh, but today I have some awesome guests. Uh, Kim was, was with us in a previous discussion, uh, but we also have Will Hall here today. Uh, Kim, Will, could you guys just give a, a brief introduction of yourselves and, and Rain? Sure. Thanks, everybody, for having me today. It was a great chat last time, Colin, and I'm happy to be here again. Um, my name is Kim Conti. I'm the head of product at Rain. Um, joined the company back in January, and we're focused on custom voice assistance for the deskless workforce. Um, so a bit of a tangent from this topic today, but very excited to dive in. Yeah, and uh, my name is uh, Will Hall. I'm the chief creative officer here at Rain and a professor of design and technology at NYU. Uh, and, you know, I've been at Rain for eight years. And, you know, during that period in time, we've really seen voice, you know, have its first sort of wave of maturation, let's call it. We made the very first skill, oddly enough, on Amazon years ago and, and really never looked back since. And I think what you're seeing now, and I'm really excited, Colin, to get into this with you on, on the panel discussion here, but of how voice started to get integrated into some of the MarTech stack, as well as some of this sort of funnel uh, moments with shopping and discovery and things like this. You know, we at Rain, uh, before you know, as Kim said, we've really been focusing on sort of you know owned assistance for you know industries and things like this. But you know, historically, we've done a lot of assistance that sort of exist in uh, retail spaces. You know, so work with companies like Nike and. Uh, Gucci and folks like this, or Chanel rather, and how do you think about voice discovery in light of conversion, as you see in this in the Sephora example? So, looking forward to getting that uh, into that with you, and uh, pass it back to you. Awesome, yeah, uh, really looking forward. Eight years—that's a that's a lot of time to uh, to be spending thinking and, and operating in this space. So, 
uh, really looking forward to tap into uh, all the experience that you have, Will. So th- thanks again for joining. And, and Kim, like I said, thanks thanks for joining as well. Really enjoyed our last discussion. But let's just jump right into it. Uh, like I said, the, the inspiration of this conversation today uh, is around the Sephora mobile app experience where you can actually search for product using your voice. Again, this is the, the native mobile uh, application. And I actually think it's a really good example uh, of what we're exploring in this room, this idea of a voice user interface as a feature of an existing uh, e-commerce experience versus voice as a completely separate sort of conversational channel. Uh, and for everybody, uh, I would suggest going and actually downloading the app and trying it for yourself. Uh, but the experience itself looks very similar uh, to a Google voice search uh, on desktop or mobile or, or a YouTube voice search, if you're familiar, where there's a microphone button that's in the actual uh, normal search bar uh, that we're all very familiar with. And, and clicking that actually launches a new screen or, or interface that asks um, or, or has a prompt that asks, what can we help you find? Uh, there's an example utterance. There's a microphone button. Uh, and although you don't actually have to tap the microphone, I think it's more of a visual cue to help you uh, know what, what's actually going on. Uh, but it, it ultimately then takes your, your voice response and then and then performs a search. Uh, but like I said, it's more from the perspective of just getting the, the voice search done than trying to have a conversation with the user. Uh, so that's the general context that, uh, like I said, we're using for a springboard into the conversation today. But uh, for the first question I have, and, and uh, like I said, I'll, I'll start with some general Q&A and then we'll, we'll make sure to open it up to the, to the listeners as well. So make sure you think up some questions along the way. Uh, but regarding this Sephora voice search experience, uh, just to kick things off, what were your initial thoughts of the experience after you tried it? And maybe just to get a little bit more specific, what did you think about the actual UI elements uh, specifically and, and how the search experience actually sort of like visually takes over the entire application? Uh, maybe, Will, could you you kick us off there? Yeah, you know, I actually think uh, I was actually really pleased with a lot of the elements that are there. I think one of the things that it does by taking over the entire screen is, you know, the large world of design, we talk about affordances and limitation. I would not go too nerdy on this, but a limitation means what I'm not letting you do. And I think what they did really well there is saying, I'm letting you speak to this. I'm not letting you sort of interact with the traditional GUI now. And that's getting you into a priming the user that this is the kind of interaction that you can do in this mode. And I think that is quietly a really strong use case. Uh, you know, sometimes, and we're running into this with a lot of the product work we're doing, where you have voice as part of a multimodal experience, you know, it's not always obvious what you know, what am I, what's my preferred interaction? So for example, if you ask for something and then it returns the options, can you speak to get those options or do you now have to click? And I think that they did a really good job of being a little heavy handed in a really good way of saying, I'm going to put a limit here to say, to funnel the user through a specific interaction model. And now here are the options. And now I know now I'm using design patterns of the web and and, and mobile. You touch these. No one thinks you can speak to open the first one or whatever. So I actually, from my perspective, think it was really great. I have some thoughts on functionality that I I, I also will share. But uh, uh, Kim, I guess I'll pass it to you if you have any uh, add-ons to that. Yeah, thanks, Will. Um, No surprise. You were going in the direction I was about the voice takeover of the page and um, totally agree. I think it was a great usage of the modality. Um, I actually have two thoughts, Colin. One on on something you said earlier, but I'll I'll pause on that for a minute and just address the question about the UI. Um, Yeah, I'm I'm personally a Sephora customer, very, uh, very happy customer, and I've I've worked with the app quite a bit, so I'm excited to talk about it. 
Um, I was really impressed, to be honest, and I don't say that often about apps. I think all of us being in development, sometimes it's, it's hard to be impressed by, by apps. Um, but what, what I really liked about it was the speed. Um, we talk about that a lot in voice, and we touched upon this a bit last time around efficiency. And efficiency is only as good as, you know, of course, how quickly something works, but how well it works as well. And um, the, the, the voice to actually getting to the search results you looked for was was really quick. And they also managed to figure out a way to display what you were saying, which is something that we talk about a lot in product as well. So how often do you have to confirm to the user that they said the right thing um, to make sure that you're getting that efficiency by matching the right search intent um, and then actually being able to show that uh, search very quickly in list of options. And the speed in which it was done, I thought was just really, really impressive. Um, I also very much like the clean UI once you were interacting with the voice experience, like Will said, I think it made it very obvious in what the intention for the user was. And I, you know, just being an advocate for voice and how I think it can help consumers, I like that it was prominent, not only in the search bar, but as you use the experience in other places, it's actually available at the bottom of the search page in an icon. Um, and then obviously it's brought forward when you're actually interacting with that channel. So um, really well done. The, the other thing I just wanted to add to you, Colin, I thought it was really important when you talked about voice as a channel. Um, and this is something, you know, I was really interested in when I joined Rain because I had come out of industry um, and we were always passionate about that omni-channel experience. Um, and, you know, getting more into voice and, and thinking about voice as its own product, um, we talk about this a lot. It, 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 it is and it isn't. It, it's so powerful, but it's only as powerful as the ecosystem in which it operates. And that oftentimes it means that you have to understand other, you know, corpuses of information and data and knowledge and context. And it can't be just its purely own experience of a voice channel. So I thought that was really done as well here. Well, as here, here. Yeah, I think you both brought up some interesting points. Uh, maybe to go back to to you, Will, on this idea of, of function, it sounds like you maybe have a, a little bit more uh, that you might want to add to your your first impressions, if you will. Uh, do you maybe want to unpack uh, some of these ideas of functionality that maybe were lacking or that you would have maybe added if you had uh, uh, some control over the experience? Maybe just explore or expand on that a little bit. Yeah, sure. And, and I, I want to be totally clear. I think it's a really great ex experience. Uh, and, and I think one of the things that's so important in voice and these emerging technologies, I think organizations kind of have to ask themselves in a sense, a couple of questions is, do you think voice will be more prominent in the future or less? And every, every uh, trajectory I've seen is vectoring towards more relevant than less relevant. Um, now, how that expresses itself, you know, a little bit TBD. But the, my point is, is that what real innovation allows you to do is not only have better answers, but ask better questions. And I think that, so let's get that philosophy down to something tangible here. Something they did that's really interesting. I was shocked in a great way how fast it was. You know, Kim noted that. I mean, there is no latency there. I shouldn't be uh, snapping on a invisible uh, uh, place like Clubhouse. So I'm snapping to uh, reinforce how fast it was. I mean, you speak and then you get, and that's awesome. It felt more like Unix or something in a really great way. Um, but now, again, real innovation allows you to ask better questions. And so what happens, for example, when voice interfaces go from a place of what we used to call age of ask, where you're asking an assistant, you have a wake word, and then you interact, and then it tells you, you asked it the weather, it told you the weather. You know, you asked it for this, it told you that. And there's a little bit of that going on here. But 
it, it's so fast that there's no interstitial moment. And that's, again, not a bad thing at all. But we actually ran into this with the work we did with Nike is, you know, we actually did a voice uh, application uh, that was integrated through a live telecast of, uh, of uh, the Lakers and Celtics. And all throughout the telecast in the lower third, there were these utterances that in their case, you could speak to Google Assistant. And we ended up selling out over a million dollars of sneakers in about 30 seconds. I mean, it was incredibly fast. But oddly enough, the, the fact that there was no lag was kind of a problem because there was no brand story. It was a new shoe in their case. There was a real narrative that they wanted you to get aligned with. And so it's a bizarre little question of like one of the real things that voice does well is that it's faster. On the, in the case of pure brute force functionality, speak, speech is three times faster than typing. So there's that. But when you add the idea of first order retrievability to it, we're talking very, very, very fast. And so I think, you know, brands, it was a bizarre thing. It's a different question. What happens when you remove friction? Sometimes you can lose things in that exchange. Now, I'm not saying that Sephora did that, but it was so fast. I was like, wow, you know, how might these interstitial moments be made more meaningful as they iterate? And I think they're really right to move forward. And I think as you also think about voice discovery, um, you know, and I, I'm sure it's on their roadmap. They're really smart people. So I'm, I'm sure they're thinking about it. Uh, but, you know, how might you make voice not simply be a replacement for a keyboard, but rather actually something that is conversational, that you can use follow-up questions to disambiguate? And there is some of that. And I also noted how they escalated some things to the chat uh, is a decent example of that as well, of escalating uh, a voice query to then a typed query. But I think the more it can it can be conversational as they evolve. I suspect it'll get to a place that is even more interesting. But anyway, all that to say the lack of latency, which is a great thing, is actually a new design problem. And I think that's really interesting. Yeah, that is fascinating. And I, I do think that it's uh, interesting that we see this element of speed and efficiency uh, come up once again in a voice experience that I, I would agree. I think it's a very well done experience. And that's also why I was really excited to, to dig into this one today. Uh, some of the past conversations we've had, it's been more from the perspective of how could you improve? But I think this is actually a really good model of a good voice enabled mobile experience uh, in e-commerce. And so we should try and learn uh, from people that are doing a good job as well. Uh, and I, I want to go back to this idea that you you brought up, Will, with uh, these affordances and limitations, um, and uh, just like this idea of the the design, um, really just the design philosophies, if you will, or approaches for the voice interface feature in mobile and web. Uh, do you think that we are, uh, and, and we can keep this in the confines of, of e-commerce and, and mobile e-commerce uh, for this conversation, uh, do you think that we're exploring these sort of affordances and limitations enough? Uh, or do you think that uh, with an experience like this, uh, where Sephora has done, I think, a pretty good job, um, do you think that we should just take things like this and, and almost try and adopt it as a best practice uh, going forward? Yeah, you know, Colin, that's a big question. And Kim, I'll, I want to pass it to you on, on this as well, of course. But, you know, it is funny. So 10 seconds on this, and then I'll, I'll answer that maybe more specifically or pass it to Kim. But, you know, we've done a lot of voice search work. You are probably aware that 30% of mobile search is done through voice, something like this. And that's doubled in the last three years, I believe it was. I think it was 15 pre-pandemic, is 30 now. 
And you know that trend doesn't seem to change very much. And there's a very specific nature of voice search, which is why, again, I think it's so important that even though we don't know the end of the road with all this stuff, you got to start working now, right? Design is a noun, but it's also a verb. Innovation is a verb. It's a process. It's not a one-day innovation day. It's an ongoing, continual process. And so the, the point here is that what you start learning when you build conversational interfaces is that voice search is fundamentally different than regular search. Whereas regular search is predicated on keywords and there's often what I call inside outness. In fact, you can go to most corporate websites. They're, the, the content is oriented that mirrors their corporate structure. You know, we used to work with Campbell's Soup Company years and years ago, and we love them. They're great people. But, you know, you would literally look at their website early on and it would be like categories would be like soup, family soups, Italian sauces, Prego. Well, nobody's searching Italian sauces. <laughs> you know, it's just not happening. But you know what everybody's searching is uh, what's the best meal to make on a Tuesday? You know, what's food the kids like? And so this idea of creating like content market, you know, content that's optimized for conversation, that's a new muscle, that's a new muscle for most organizations. And so I think Sephora's done a really good job on the product side. And I love how they're starting to already, and again, I'm giving the props here, not only are they doing product discovery, but they're also trying to have some of those occasions that are around their products, like what's the best date night you know, uh, lipstick, some of these type of questions that they teased in the beginning. But I think that's right, right? Voice search is fundamentally different than regular search. And so, yes, I think that's the future. By the way, Google is mimicking this, right? Voice search on, vo on Google has over 500 parameters where they try to answer your question. And it's fundamentally disrupting the way that search works because conversational search is not the same thing as looking up a weighted website. It's conversational and specific. So anyway, so is that trend staying? Absolutely. I have some follow-ups on that, but I don't want to monopolize. Kim? Yeah, thanks, Will. Um, I, I really appreciated where you were going on some of those examples. And you know, we you you said it best. It's voice is great in terms of efficiency, input and retrieval, but it's also great at predictive and proactive. And I know that's what excites us on the product front. I think that this is what excites everybody in the voice space about this next generation of voice. And um, you know, but but with that, and this I think is where you're going with it, Will, is what's underpinned by being predictive and proactive are really, really best-in-class analytics and personalization. And even before voices entered into the picture, I think this is a lot of the, uh, an issue that a lot of companies have struggled for for years, is how well do I really know my customers and collect data in a way that, you know, the Amazons of the world do so that it can be such a personalized and meaningful experience to anticipate what my buying behavior is, what my purchase behavior is, who's in my household, who I am, and what that means for me. And so I'll, I'll give an example of that. And this is more of a, you know, an opportunity, I would say, on, on the app. So one of the things that I wanted to do is what are the best foundations for me? Again, I'm a personal user of Sephora. I love their products. And they have all of my beauty match information. I've actually gone to the store and had them, you know, use the, the beauty match tool that they've got in store. And they know what my skin type is and all of those things. But yet I couldn't leverage the voice experience to get to that level of proactivity and, and next and next level of customization. And so I think it's a really exciting place that they could lean into to get uh, much better than just voiceifying a search, if you will. Yeah, can I, can I follow up on that? Um, 
because that, that's exactly right. I mean, look, our central thesis, if you ever see rain present, at least, you know, historically, every deck that rain has presented, it ha has had one slide in it that said, to win at voice, you have to think in systems. To win at voice, you have to think in ecosystems. And that is our core philosophy in many ways. And it kind of is what Kim said, you know, a lot of people when they first started, you know, exploring in voice, which is fine, they would make a single skill or something like this and it wouldn't be integrated with anything else they wouldn't capture the data where it goes anywhere else and it was sort of living on an island and then we say well voice didn't work well sure no one would think that would work but when it's integrated into a larger system whether that be a tech system obviously or to kim's point a knowledge base a crm system uh you know any type of martech capabilities then you're going to have more success and in fact not only are you going to have more success but you're going to get qualitatively different data uh so you know i can get into some examples of that if you want but it's really kind of exciting voice is different voice is different you get qualitatively different data from a conversation than you do from traditional search, fundamentally differently. And that's really exciting. Uh, and, you know, I, I think like back to the system thing, you know, we worked with a retailer in the interest of, I'll not say their name, but the spirit of it is, we found that 80% of people that shopped at this luxury retailer had started their search online, but when they walked in the store, it was the goldfish problem. Like, who are you? That's exactly what Kim said. Well, I already had the product I want in my cart online, but you don't know who I am. Like, it's, it's you know, this is my fifth date with you, essentially, uh, you know, brand. Why don't you know me? And so the more we can integrate these journeys as a unified system, the more powerful voices and conversational interfaces are in general. Yeah, no, I think I think this is a, a theme or an idea that that I've been tossing around a bunch in my, my own mind. Um, and it's it's this idea around... I don't know if there's a good term for it, but almost like natural language search data. Uh, you know, we're all familiar with what e-commerce search looks like today that, like you said, it's optimized around keywords. Uh, but we're starting to see these features like voice search, maybe vo voice filtering, some of these different uh, voice and e-commerce types experience become more prevalent. And so with that, like you said, I think we see a completely new type of data altogether. Uh, I would like to unpack that more um, if we can. Uh, like, do you think that Maybe first, uh, do you think that uh, from what, what you've seen so far in, in the world of e-commerce, do you think that that can be even more valuable than the search data we're seeing today? Uh, from, from me, the, the, the obvious assumption that I would have is if I have something that I can just say what I want, uh, that's a pretty unique type of data where uh, before, you know, everybody wants to optimize around keywords. Now you just have a way to get exactly what a user wants. And it might be very different than what your expectations are. So I think that's interesting. Uh, just curious to, to get your perspective, uh, both both Kim and Will. Um, do you think that this can be even more valuable, like of a type of data than we see today? And then and then how could it be more more valuable? Yeah, uh, Kim, can I can I take a first pass at that? Sure. Yep. Yeah, uh, I have a, a relevant example here. You know, we've done a lot of work in the hospitality space. And whenever we work with folks, we look for places, we call it conversation mining. Uh, you know, where are conversations already happening? Because to our point here, conversational and voice data is different. And so we worked with a gigantic hospitality company, no need to get into who it is, but we took the front desk conversations that happened and we started to build, run them through sentiment. And do you know what the first word out of most people who are staying in the hotel, the first word out of their mouth statistically was, I hate. And the following was, I'm sorry. <laughs> I hate to bother you, but I'm sorry to bother you, but. And when you think about that, like 
the words hate, <laughs> sorry, uh, and the word hospitality. I mean, those words couldn't be further, shouldn't be further apart, but yet here they are explicitly saying this. And so, you know, if you're in therapy, we kind of joke, like, if you're in therapy, say the word hate and let me know if there's a follow-up question. I promise there will be. That's a loaded word. That's a very powerful word. And what's interesting is then you just double click and you say, well, what did the, you know, what did the guest say that they hate? Decent follow-up question. I hate to ask you for the Wi-Fi, but I hate to ask you for towels, but I'm sorry to bother you, but. And so then you, there you go. There's your innovation roadmap in a sense. Let's build in technologies that can remove the need for Wi-Fi. Let's move them in so they don't have to check out. They're explicitly telling you with their voices what it is they hate about staying in your hotel. And that is qualitatively different data than would exist through traditional voice search in traditional sort of interfaces. And what's interesting is that, you know, the hospitality, when you think of big hospitality, they're losing relevance every single day. Uh, we know that, especially with younger business travelers, I mean, I can't tell you how many innovation briefs I've seen around this exact problem, which is how do we get younger business travelers to stay with us? Because they don't want to stay with you. They want to stay at Airbnb. They want local personalized. Again, I could go deep on this, but like they're not looking for this offering. But in all of their research, they didn't find that insight that voice uncovered. And voice is this, we, last thing I'll say on it is like, we love the actor Daniel Day-Lewis. He said that when he starts to imagine a character, he doesn't start with the way that it looks, but he says that voice is the thumbprint of the soul. And I know that's like a Hallmark card, it sounds like, but I think he's right, right? Voice is our natural interface. Voice is how we communicate with each other. And accordingly is dripping with sentiment and emotion and insight that other traditional colder, MarTech sort of capabilities just don't uncover. It's a focus group of one, and I think it's qualitatively more powerful and different. Yeah, um, to totally uh, love those points, Will. I would say, um, you know, actually to, to balance that out on the qualitative side, there's the quantitative point of it, right? And just, uh, Colin, I think your, your question, right, was it's so interesting because now I can ask for what I want. And we started to go down this path a bit. Um, but that's so meaningful as we think about ourselves as, you know, if you're in product management or development and, you know, we're trying to prioritize Um it's it's so important as we think about it from a quantitative perspective for lean continuous improvement. Um, I think the older model was we have to keyword search and tag absolutely everything on a huge, you know, 20,000 pages of information and customers touch about 5% of it. To Will's point, you know, we, we hear them say only two, two or three asks um, in a given scenario. So I think this really allows us to also um, prioritize our product roadmaps and optimize for where customers want voice and, and use that data to um, surface the right information at the right time. Um, you know, it was always something that we grappled with um, in, in other um, products that we've built is, you know, how do you really focus on what customers want to say that are only asking, you know, 10% of the time? Um, so I think it's a really important way to prioritize as well. Awesome. I'm, I'm going to just reset the room quick. Uh, so we're talking about uh, voice UIs in the, in the world of, of e-commerce. Uh, we use Sephora, the, the mobile experience, kind of as a, a, a jumping off point. Um, but uh, I kind of want to do a, a segue into a, a somewhat of a different topic within um, voice-enabled e-commerce. Uh, and I think it's a big one. It's this idea of multi-modality or um, yeah, you know, just taking advantage of the different uh, modalities that we have alongside a voice interface. Uh, if we're looking from a, a high level perspective, sort of taking the the thirty thousand foot view, 
Um, how important do you think this idea of multimodality uh, for voice-enabled e-commerce experience, how, how important do you think this really is? And I, I think um, why, why I bring up this topic specifically, I think multimodality is a hot topic for voice experiences in general, uh, just because it gives more freedom on, on what you can do with the overall experience. However, for commerce specifically, uh, it's very much a very hands-on uh, touch and feel, um, or at least see type of experience uh, for humans. You know, we're, we're ingrained to, to 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 see before we feel, if you will, for the majority of things. So I'm just curious, how important do you think this idea of multimodality is in the world of, of voice-enabled e-commerce experiences? Uh, Kim, do you want to kick off that that question? Yeah, we we talk a lot about um, multimodality as it relates to e-commerce, and then you know broader um, voice opportunities. To your point, Colin, I, I do think um, the visual aspect is so important. And it, as you think about, you know, when I was using the app, a couple of things happened to me. There was a scenario of, yeah, it completely got the right um, search intent I had and actually brought me immediately to the product I was searching for. In another case, I asked a more broad search and it brought me to a list of options um, under a certain brand category. And in several cases, um, it actually brought me to a completely wrong search of a completely wrong product. And so it's interesting, right, of that balance of we want to ensure that, you know, especially voice and where it's at today and its maturity, we're getting the intent right and then we're able to get customers to where they want to go. But I think there's this also interesting inflection point, which we're all anticipating when it becomes even more seamless. And so, you know, this is our experience with with the custom assistants in our home is I can simply order something without ever having to look at a screen. Um, and I think it's always a balance of that modality. Um, the other thing I would say is, you know, in e-commerce, I actually have a little bit of a less of an opinion than I do in, say, the deskless workforce, whereas in, you know, just a quick tangent for there for just a minute, in the deskless workforce, it's so much more about the physical environment and whether or not your hands are busy and you even have a screen at your disposal to help make a decision. Um, in this scenario, it's almost like the user already has to look at the screen to complete the transaction all the way through. So they're still tied to the experience. Yeah. And uh, I guess, you know, and I'd like to piggyback on on top of that as well. Like multi multimodality has opened up a lot of possibilities, which we can hit like, okay, one of the things that we heard on day one is why can't I, you know, we would talk to brands and they said, well, can't I just pay to be the answer to a question? Like you ask Alexa or Google something. And the answer to that is you can't because voice in a headless experience typically only gives you one answer. Well, there's obvious antitrust problems with that. You start to hijack the algorithm, there's problems. So from a platform perspective, multimodality is actually opening up new ways to think about your paid SEM. Uh, and, and I think that's interesting. So we put a pin in that. But to go more philosophically for just a moment, you know, I talked about earlier earlier that, you know, our core philosophy in some ways of voice is that to win a voice, you have to think in systems. Well, one of the reasons we believe that is we also believe that technology in general is vectoring to a place of being sort of ambient, ubiquitous. And that can sound like frou-frou, na-na craziness, but it's really not. We're developing a thin layer of technology that's connecting everything to everything else. Look at the roadmap of Fang, Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, Google. That's exactly what they're building. They overtly tell us this is what they're building. And so I think for brands, what that means is that we have to think about our brands through a multi-sensory expression of our brand. And, you know, one of our clients is actually MasterCard. And I think they've done an amazing job of that. When you think about MasterCard, you know, in a sense, they're this invisible thing that exists, this brand. 
everybody knows the red and the, or the, the orange and the red circle that is the MasterCard logo. Well, what happens when that is in a digital wallet? What happens when you're, you're issuing cards like the Apple card runs on MasterCard, but there's not a MasterCard logo on it. So how's your, where's your brand if you're losing that visual equity? And so the need to express your brand through a multi-sensory expression of the brand is really important. If you're in New York and you take a cab and you pay with MasterCard, you now hear a sonic expression of the brand. And I think this is in some ways just from a pure brand perspective, in some ways the, the four, what do we sound like? Most brands know what they sound like if they're running a 30 second ad, um, you know, but less do when you start to think about uh, something that's assistive or conversational and things like this. And I really do think that's the, the, the brands that are doing that, I think are really gonna win. And uh, I can point to examples of that, but you know, I think it's very relevant to what Sephora is doing. You know, as you start to think about what's happening in the larger world of retail, the fact that they're not only creating a conversational interface, which obviously helps with discoverability and multimodality helps to disambiguate sort of searches. So yes, well done. But I think that it's a step into this idea of what Disney calls digital. It's physical and digital. It's a system in the truest sense of the world. And what happens when your brand is existing in that ubiquity? Well, it means you need to be able to express yourself along all of those modalities. Last thought on this. When we think about historically on the web, we've talked about the idea of responsive and adaptive frameworks forever, of course. But now this idea of multimodality has really taken that to a whole other level, you know, because now what happens when you're not only on a device, but it's also paired with a wearable or not, you know, we have fitness clients that this is very relevant to, we need to be aware of the mesh of touch points and have our brand express itself through that mesh in a meaningful way. There's a real opportunity here for, for first mover brands to think about how you can express yourselves. By the way, that's really worked with MasterCard. You know, they've in the Forbes 100, they moved up four positions, I think, up to like 18 or something like this, as a direct result of their multi-sensory expression of the brand. I do believe that's the future in some ways. Yeah, so that that's sort of the the high level the high level view. I also want to get uh, maybe a little bit more narrow. Uh, so we're looking at Sephora, uh, obviously a, a beauty a beauty brand, uh, but we've also seen uh, companies like Home Depot. Uh, with their home improvement uh, offerings and and different products, also add voice search into their their mobile applications. I'm curious, uh, do you guys think that there are any specific categories uh, that might be better positioned to take advantage of voice enabled experiences uh, than other categories? And and if there are, what are what are some of the different elements that might play into that? Um, and if not, maybe is it more uh, a higher level that e-commerce is just in a good position? Would like would like to hear your thoughts on on that general topic. I've got some initial thoughts on it. I do really think the point of disambiguation is something that we continue to talk about in the context of purchase behavior as well as the context of voice for knowledge information. And so that's that's really interesting as we think about um, again a frictionless experience in voice. What we always have to balance in this voice channel is, and we, we talked about this a bit last time, Colin, was the right channel for the right transaction. And in cases when you have very complex products to purchase and you've got more of a back and forth, I need to understand more about the thing that you're buying, um, perhaps that is actually not best served in voice. Maybe it's best served in a mobile app where you're sort of taken through a journey experience. Um, and voice, again, we know it should only take so many turns, otherwise it's no longer efficient and the user is now quite frustrated. Um, so that's that's kind of my general thought on that. Yeah, and, and I, I think I agree with that. And I, I would also say that, you know, any anytime you're dealing with an interface that historically has a ton of drop downs or things like this, 
a drop down voice has a direct indictment on a drop down. And so when you think about something like Sephora, great example, there, you know, not that there are literally drop downs, but there's categories and subcategories and use cases and all the stuff that you have to navigate through to get to what you want. You know, Home Depot, no duh, great example of that. But I think, you know, areas that we're actually very bullish on at Rain, and it's not e-com, but it shares some DNA here, which is, you know, things like the financial space. You know, when you look at things like, for example, a client of ours was BlackRock. They manage over $9 trillion of assets, and they have all these very complicated, uh, you know, knowledge bases that they have to interface with. They have this uh, risk assessment tool called Aladdin, for example. And when you watch, you know, uh, um, um, FAs, financial advisors, interact with these things, these guys are really smart. These are not slouches, to say the least, and they're very technically savvy. But you watch how long it takes them to fight the interface to get what they want. Compare stock A to stock B over a five-year period of a certain class or whatever, we're talking three, four, five minutes. And so, you know, voice, the second we saw that, we're like, voice could do that better. And that first order retrievability is driving all kinds of efficiencies that a seventh grader could build an ROI around. So, okay, that's what's happening on the enterprise side. On the commercial side, I think when you look at something like menus and things like this, you know, we've done a lot of work with Starbucks, for example. And being able to simply, they have a top 10 app, it's a best-in-class application, but if you think about an order, like I want a triple grande macchiato and a venti cup, every single thing I just said, it historically would be a button press. But in voice, it breeds first-order retrievability, and so therefore I've removed friction. And now you can, A, the first time you're in, get to what you want faster, so that's going to you know, obviously get you down the funnel quicker. Everybody on this call certainly knows uh, the attrition that happens through any marketing funnel. So removing the steps is going to be advantageous in an e-com situation, obviously. However, what happens the second time you come? In the case of Starbucks, you can just say, do you want your regular? And that's backed up by data, by the way, that 70% of, of transactions are the people ordering the same thing over and over again. So now we can start to take that conversational place in the first time to be an anticipatory place the second time where you want your triple grounding market and venting up, right? Right, good. And so you can remove it out of the way. And as a result, people shop with voice purchase 2.7 times more than non-voice shoppers. And so what's the hardest thing to do in marketing? I think one of the hardest thing is loyalty. Everything is vectoring to a place of being a commodity wrapped in a logo, including Home Depot, right? I mean, does anybody really have a preference in where they get their hardware? It's price driven, which means it's a commodity. So how do you fight that? removing the effort of friction. And I think that that's one of the ways that voice can really power e-com. Voice drives loyalty. We've seen this in a number of examples in, in commerce. You know, Starbucks is a great example of that. But even things like Headspace, which we worked with for a few years, we don't work with them anymore, but the same exact thing. What we found is that people who use voice to interact with the platform, they come back more often because it removes friction and it breeds personalization and first order retrievability. And so voice and loyalty go hand in hand. And I think that's very in, you know, in line with the things that Sephora are doing, as well as quite obviously from Deepa. It breeds loyalty. Yeah, and just um, an add um, in a little bit of a different direction there, Will. One of the things um, that I think brands and companies should think about is um, the context, which maybe sounds quite obvious, but I'll give you an example as it relates to Sephora. So um, as, as positive as some of my voice experiences went, I also had a challenge because Sephora has, you know, in some ways... Uh, 
complicated brands to say, French brands um, and, and Italian brands. And so if you don't get exactly the pronunciation correct, what I was finding is it was missing out on some of those searches. And so um, that's where we at Rain, you know, really focus on building the right taxonomy and ontology and the right contextual knowledge and awareness of a given um, user or a set of customers or a set of internal stakeholders um, so that we understand the knowledge and the nomenclature and the context in which they're asking questions so that we can nail that first order retrievability right the first time. Yeah, that, that's very interesting. And it, it brings up this this other thought about just also like where voice commerce um, might even go as we start to explore it further. And I, I think that many of us uh, will think of voice commerce in, in mobile or web almost as an extension or a feature of existing store experiences or, or, or almost removing friction in commerce as we know it today. And I think that is a really good opportunity uh, to improve. Uh, I like that that way you said it, Will, with the, the F word friction, uh, but to remove friction in experiences as we know it today. So that, that's one bucket. Um, but I'm curious to, to maybe go a little bit more um, into the innovation side of our minds or not even thinking of the future, but just rethinking experiences as we know them with the tools that we have access to today. Uh, do you think that voice interfaces as a tool can ultimately unlock new ways of shopping altogether? Uh, and maybe as a way to prime it, I, I'll, I can give what I'm kind of thinking in my own head. Uh, I always think about um, uh, shopping and this idea of personalization. Personalization today usually means pushing some sort of information to me to try and get me to buy something uh, over time. And I think about voice almost giving this new way of looking at personalization where maybe as a business I could flip that idea on the head and all my experiences, we use personalization purely to inform uh, product search based on on what you're telling us. So it almost moves from this this push to a pull use of this this different data we have access to where where maybe voice could be a driver of that overall experience, if that makes sense, and almost like a generative interface, generative search kind of way. I'm curious, have you guys thought about voice uh, as, a, as a tool and how this could maybe unlock new ways of shopping altogether? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, we, we talk a lot about that and we're philosophically aligned with that. Uh, for sure. I mean, it goes back to the goldfish problem. You know, it's uh, it, it's I think of a relationship with a brand kind of like marriage. You know, if you think about a first date, you don't know if you're who you're out with. Do they drink? Are they vegetarian? God knows what. But by the 10th date, you probably know what they're kind of into. By the time you're married, you can probably go ahead and order for each other because you've got to know each other. That's the nature of a relationship. But, you know, to your point, through a sort of progressive conversation that exists over time, that is, in, again, back to our world, predicated on system thinking, uh, you're exactly right. It goes from a place of asking, do you want, to anticipating your needs and acting on your behalf. And in fact, when you look at things like Google Duplex, uh, which, you know, of course, was at, at Google I.O. a few years ago, you know, it was this place of proactive assistance, you know, voice in our mind is a gateway to that in many ways. Uh, and uh, so you can already do sort of 100 level versions of this today. Um, you know, uh, so yeah, I, I absolutely think that's right. And look, I think the gorilla in the room, and I, I, I know we don't have time to get into the core philosophy of this, but in my opinion, I think the core, the gorilla in the room is that voices, that search is, is somewhat broken. And I, I think Google is even somewhat kind of admitting that to a degree. They're changing their entire approach to page weighting and things like that every single day. Google's awesome, obviously. But, you know, 
there the voice search has uncovered the fact that search is broken so absolutely i do think that a new more progressive way that's thinking conversationally over time is the way to do it in the same way you get to know somebody in a relationship that's exactly how i think brands and in some ways information needs to work potentially as well uh, I have one or two more questions here. Uh, so if anybody in the, the crowd, any listeners have some questions for the crowd, I think now would be, a, or for the, the guests, now would be a good time to, to start raising your hand. We can bring you up. Um, I'm curious, from, from a high level, why is now a good time to be looking at opportunities at, for voice in commerce? Uh, would like to kind of hear your, your, your pitch for, for voice in e-commerce. Uh, Kim, maybe you could kick it off and then, and then Will would like to hear your take as well. Well, you said the word word pitch, so I feel you know this is Will's space. So I'll I'll take just a couple of minutes and then and then pass it to him. But again, all the things we talked about, right, is voice enables you to um, be much more efficient, recall things much faster, and get access to information much quicker. Um, that means ideally a, a much more seamless experience for customers who, instead of searching through, um, I think everybody's inundated with too many options, right? We all know the salad dressing analogy of now it's nearly impossible to buy salad dressing when you go down the, the shopping aisle because there is 6,000 choices and I'm overwhelmed by the paradox of choice rather than having a limited option for really the thing that I'm actually looking for. Um, so I think it's just a great opportunity um, in, a, in a new channel as we think about um, optimization, but also to all the things we've already talked about when it comes to personalization. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree. I mean, look, we believe that a shifting technological landscape should be a competitive advantage. And that if you look at the history of business, that's exactly what it's a history of technology. Who wins are those who understand the factors that are happening right now, are able to leverage those to move forward. And so it, it, for companies that are saying, oh, well, we're going to sit and wait, I, I think that's a really bad move. Why? Because as business leaders, we look for forces that triangulate on something, right? And it's like voice search is not going away. It's doubled in the last two and three years. Voice commerce, every projection from Gartner to everybody has said this is a multi-billion dollar business. It's, it's growing every single year. And it's growing in ways that we didn't anticipate. It's not simply asking Alexa to order batteries, though sure that may be part of it. But it's, it's fundamentally changing the way that we relate to brands. We're also in an era back to a triangulation of forces, right? Brands, you've heard article after article of like the brand death of brands. You hear this all the time. What that means is, is that everything is being commoditized. I mean, think about the way that Amazon talks about products. They say your margin is our opportunity and everything is vectoring to an Amazon basics version of itself. So as brands, we have to build out ecosystems that build resilience against these forces. Who is doing that? Like, the people that are building systems are winning now and they're going to continue to win in the future. And, you know, it's funny when you say any brand that I sit down with and look, we've worked with 23 of the Fortune 100 organizations where we have these calls all the time. Tell me a brand you're inspired by. You're going to have names like Disney and Nike and Sephora, possibly, and all these other brands are going to come up. And the thing that they all have in common is they don't see innovation as a one-time event. It's what they, it's just the way that they live and they're building systems that innovate every single day. And you know, it's so funny, we actually did a report, uh, this was some work I did at NYU, and we looked at the Fortune 500 companies and we looked at um, earnings reports, annual reports and things like this and did conversation mining on it. And what we found is that the most innovative companies never said the word innovation. They almost never mentioned it. Look at Google's uh, internal calls or their, their um, their, their uh, calls that they have around uh, you know shareholder meetings, they never say the word innovation. Conversely, the brands that are really struggling to main, maintain relevance, they talk about innovation all the time. 
And I think that's so right. It's like, should we innovate? Of course you should. Why? Because there's a telescoping of innovation that's happening now. What happened when, and COVID has accelerated that, by the way. So yeah, that's my pitch is that you've got to move forward. You know, everything has been telescoped and voice is absolutely going to be a core pillar, part of, not the entire thing, but part of that current and future state. And um, I know we've got a couple of people waiting to, to ask questions as well. One thing I'll, I'll just leave here as I was thinking about it, and I don't have an answer for it yet, but I think we didn't talk about this, but voice is ubiquity to be everywhere, right? And as we think about voice in the car, voice on the go, um, what does that mean? Maybe, Colin, that was your question around shopping in a totally different way. Um, and that's really interesting, I think, from a commerce perspective, Um you know, just where voice is wherever people are, not tied to a desk, not tied to um, a computer, or, or and, you know, I have to be in a single place at a single time. Love it. Yeah. Really, really good points and, and a lot to, to think about and reflect on uh, after the discussion, at least, at least for myself. So I hope uh, the listeners feel the same way. Uh, but let's pass it over to some questions. Kaleem, uh, would love to have you give your thoughts or question. Uh, yeah, floor is yours. Thanks very much for inviting me up on stage. You have a, a bit of a, uh, a comment and a bit of a bit of a question. So, uh, um, you know, Will, I just want to pick up where where, where you left off. Um, you know, particularly about innovation. Um, you're you're absolutely right. The companies that have a culture of innovation don't need to talk about it because uh, that's built in. The ones that are are sort of pursuing this cargo cult, uh, um, you know, uh, type type of modality in terms of of trying to be innovators, they see the surface level, but they actually don't understand what the processes are, and and, and that innovation is not as you said, a one-time thing. It's actually a culture. It's an ongoing process. It never stops. So I think so. So that's the first point. Um, you know, you mentioned the the, uh, the uh, Google Duplex uh, uh, example from uh, Google I/O 2019. For anyone who hasn't seen it, I really encourage you to go and and, and uh, go onto YouTube and watch that demo because um, it really is a, an indicator of, of of where things are going. Um, I won't dwell too uh, too long on that, but Kim Kim said something particularly interesting to me. Um, she talked about the um, uh, the taxonomy and ontology problem. So you know, taxonomy being you know how we're we're grouping and classifying and labeling information, and you know, ontology uh, being the meaning. But uh, I'd say while those are are progressively difficult challenges. Um, the real challenge comes in uh, in choreography. So, you know, what are the rules and how? What are the the, the processes and pathways um, in terms of how those things should interact and and what the end results are? I mean, if I if I go to I'm just, you know, really a gross example, but uh, if I say, uh, what's the best restaurant near me? And um, you know, the the system is is weighted towards popularity. Um, I'll probably get McDonald's. Uh, you know, so uh, I, I think this is this this question of choreography is one that we probably need to discuss more. I mean, obviously we have all kinds of technical uh, challenges and and difficulties to work through, um, but I think the choreography problem is where we'll we'll uh, be able to, to to make some progress. And I, I'd like to hear some thoughts on that. Thanks. Yeah, Kaleem, Kaleem, I, I really appreciate those thoughts and that question. And and I, I don't mean to. Oh, I guess I do mean to since I'm I'm speaking now. I don't mean to jump in, but to jump in, haha. Um, like I said earlier, search is broken. And if you look up any single platform, any single question, you know what, you mentioned, you know, McDonald's is probably going to be the answer, aka junk food said with a little bit of a wink, I like McDonald's, so no, no judgment. But uh, 
there's kind of junk food of every single thing that is being searched for right now. If you look up best innovation company, you're not going to get you're not going to get IDEO, <laughs> you're not going to get Rain, you're not going to get whoever you, be, could, you believe the leader is. You're going to get some very questionable source, and this is very consistent. And you're seeing this happen in ecom as well. Um, if you think about voice discovery on on Alexa, and I don't think Alexa's marketplace is necessarily something to hold up on a pedestal just yet. However, comma, ask it for a question. You know, ask for give me the best insert whatever the thing is it rarely is the best it's usually predicated on some gaming of a system and not an actual truthful corpora you know corpo data and so yeah i, I think that the the waiting and then that brings obviously into who is waiting that so i understand that's a problem but it's a big deal but i totally agree with you any other thoughts on that yeah, yeah. oh go ahead. sorry go ahead clean no, I, I just wanted to come in on what Will was saying and that, um, you know, particularly what Colin was talking about, the personalization aspect. So, um, you know, no two people are going to um, have the same ontology or taxonomy. And although maybe the choreography, we might have a, a narrow range of what we expect um, from what's delivered to us in terms of the experience. So, uh, but but th that's an, a separate issue as well. I mean, we can we can look at statistical distributions all we want, but uh, when it comes down to the day, each of us are individuals who are who are trying to get the thing that we want. So I think this is particularly for um, for e-commerce uh, uh, environments where there are thousands or tens of thousands or even millions of choices. Um, this is uh, this is something that we're going to have to grapple with, and uh, you know it's something I've been thinking a lot about. Yeah, I really appreciate your thoughts, Kaleem. Um, it's something that we are constantly, I would say our top two priorities on our product front is balancing this autonomy and taxonomy um, with the actual experience. And just to play up your analogy of choreography there, I, I really like that point. And it is it is kind of a dance, right? Because we believe that there is this opportunity right on the horizon of natural language processing and ability to answer questions in the way that users want to ask them. But then oftentimes we're dealing with legacy legacy, unstructured data that is just not mastered to answer those questions. And so we're always constantly balancing a usable, useful product roadmap to answer what customers want with building out um, this taxonomy and ontology and not falling under the weight of trying to master every single scenario. So it's constantly a dance of how do you um, build a better experience for certain use cases while you're still building out, um, you know, you're really just trying to resolve a lot of those legacy data system issues. Awesome. Yeah. Thank, thanks, Clean, for that question and, and great responses, Will and Kim. Uh, Chip, did you have uh, one final question before we close out today's discussion? Uh, thank you. I have an observation. I'd like to say that I believe you're overestimating the importance of multimodality in minimizing user frustration and disambiguation. I illustrate this for the point that even though I'm not a driver, my wife is, and we spent two years researching our recent automobile purchase. And one of the things high on our list was a strong voice response system in the car. And many we tried, you could make your ask of the car, but then it would bring up something on the built-in touchscreen requiring the driver to take their eyes off the road and their hands off the wheel to make a selection from the touchscreen. And my wife found this almost a waste of a voice UI system because it required her eyes and her hands. Uh, I think the industry needs to recognize that we all are in situations, whether we're driving, we're jogging, 
we're changing the baby, we're doing the dishes, when our hands and our eyes aren't free, and yet we want to use voice interface technology, which means speech response. And, you know, even if that's sometimes questions to disambiguate, it still means speech response is important to us at times. And so I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. Thank you. Yeah, um, Chip, I, I've been there. And uh, if I, you know, I wouldn't be telling, I, I would be lying to you if I didn't say I actually had the exact situation happen to me today with my voice navigation in my car. I think, unfortunately, those are some of the worst uh, voice experiences that I've, I've had to date. Um, all been there. Um, you know, the, the only thing I'll, I'll say to that, and, and there's frankly um, other experts that can probably speak to this even better, but, you know, I, I think we all recognize that voice is still in its infancy. And um, as much as we want it to be, we, again, we see, we see their horizon. Um, there's just a lot of training that it needs to do. And so, um, you know, as we think about the products we're putting into the world, it's always that balance of we're going to, we need users to interact with it so that they can disambiguate so that we can then master that experience. Um, but we have to sort of, um, I, I think, work with the technology we have today uh, to train and learn to improve those experiences going forward. Will, did you have something to say? Uh, just agree with you, Chip. You know, I think that idea we were talking about, about adaptive and responsive, you know, I, I think that's very right. A car is a version of that, right? Uh, you know, when, when you look at, like, this is something we, we tackled with uh, some work we did with Headspace where, uh, for example, if you're running and we can tell, obviously, by your accelerometer that you're running, that's going to affect the content recommendations. It's going to be things that are more active. It also means the interface itself is going to change to assume you're going to press it with a butt, you know, with one finger while you're running is different than sitting down and pressing with two hands or whatever. And so I think the idea of systems acting as a system that adapts to the modalities, plural, is the right way to think about it. And it's not easy, obviously, but I do think that's right. You know, 10 seconds and then I'll, I'll give up my time here. But I, before COVID, I took my daughter to the uh, uh, World Trade Center. And I simultaneously had the best experience with tech and the worst within the span of about three minutes. And so the best was, for those of you who haven't been, you go on the elevator and it's obviously an emotional space if you're a New Yorker and you get in the elevator and it takes you up and they use this sort of AR, MR type of thing. It's just a screen, but basically they map what you would be seeing out that window in New York City looks like over the last 150 years. And so you see it start off as a village and then towns and then the buildings and then this and then this and then this. And then by the time you get to the top, it opens up and now this is the current view. Such a great use of technology. But then when you walked out and I looked to your right, there was the best view in the building was covered by, it was cartoonishly ridiculous, nine gigantic big screens covering up the best view in the entire building. That's a terrible example because it's technology getting in the way of what I want instead of enabling what I want. And so paradoxically, we believe that technology is often at its best when it gets out of the way. And I think a lot of these interfaces, like the car you just mentioned, they're very self-aware. I think a lot of voice assistants, they're trying to be overly personified and being too self-aware and too cute. I don't want to know what Alexa ate for lunch. I just want you to tell me where to go to eat. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so I do think this, this idea of getting out of the way is in some ways a great paradox of a lot of this technology. I was just hoping to keep that idea planted firmly in the de heads of the developers that um, multimodal uh, response systems aren't the only way to go, that speech response is often quite desirable and less frustrating. 
Yeah, yeah I, just, I just add one more point to that, Chip. I think a, a good uh, takeaway for anybody that's that's building voice-enabled products is just to remember that there isn't really a one-size-all-fits uh, sort of approach, especially for where user adoption is at today. I think uh, when we talk about uh, this idea of looking outside the conversational model in, in this room specifically, you know, it's, there's no... Uh, there's no hiding the fact that we, that's uh, one of the main things that we're looking at in this room. However, this is also from the idea of the, the mental model of a voice assistant. Uh, that doesn't mean that there isn't these different instances where a voice response does make a lot of sense for the user. So I think, again, when you're looking at voice, uh, just remembering that there isn't necessarily a one-size-all-fits solution today and that there are a lot of different things that you can do with the tools that uh, we're lucky to have access to in, in 2021. But Chip, I, I appreciate you bringing up that point because, uh, yeah, that's that's definitely not the, the main intention of this conversation is to to, to not overlook all the, the tools we have access to, but also to, to just shine light on uh, some of the different tools that maybe don't get some of the, the same uh, air traffic, if you will. Yeah, if I can just make a, a brief comment um, just on, on this on this point. So the, I'd say there's a difference between um, a uh, voice system that has been attached to a, a visual primary system or a visual primary system with a voice attached or um, an adaptive system where uh, one can adjust the bias towards uh, voice or visual if, if those are the dimensions we're talking about. And I think, uh, you know, particularly for issues around accessibility, I think this is something that we, we really do need to think about. I mean, ideally, you would think that, that voice would, would be an enabler um, versus a hindrance. So uh, just wanted to put that thought out there. Thank yeah, thanks for, for mentioning that as well, Kaleem. Uh It is two o'clock, so I want to make sure that we're mindful of our, our guest time. Uh, I'm, I'm curious, uh, Kim, Will, where would you suggest listeners who want to find out more about uh, maybe the individ individual work you are both doing and what Rain's doing? Where, where's the best way to follow what you guys are up to? Uh, yeah, you can check out our website, uh, rain.agency. Clunky URL, but good content there. We also have a voice on voice uh, that covers a lot of these topics. We explore them weekly. And uh, so, yeah, I would encourage you to check that out. Yeah, and uh, to give a plug to the, the voice on voice, that, that newsletter is kind of my go-to uh, source for, for all things updates in the voice tech space. really does a, a good job of, uh, I guess, I don't know who's in charge of that, but whoever does, does that does a really good job of putting together uh, the information that I would say is is really important to stay up to date. So, uh, everybody else, thank you so much uh, for for joining us today. You can join us for for conversations like this weekly on Thursdays, uh, where we are exploring these use cases for voice user interfaces. Uh, thanks again for listening. Hope you have a good rest of the week and a nice weekend. Thank, thank you, Colin. Everyone. Thanks, team. Thanks, thanks everyone. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Speechly podcast. If you enjoyed this discussion and are interested in the world of voice user interfaces, we would love if you subscribed and checked out future episodes. And if you are ready to integrate a voice user interface in your website or application, or if you would just like to learn more about the opportunities with voice user interfaces, you should check out our website at speechly.com.